Do you want to see the most beautiful thing I've ever reviewed? It was one of those days when it's a minute away from snowing and Willard Scott's all like, there wasn't any snow in my forecast. And Katie Couric is all like, I have to pay attention to being a goddamn weatherman instead of telling hundred-year-olds to eat more smuckers, I would have known to bring a parka. And anyway, this bag was just dancing for me outside the studio window, like a Pauly Shore movie, just begging me to review it. And that's the day I realized that there was this entire life behind things and this incredibly benevolent force that wanted me to know that there was no reason to be afraid ever. Well, maybe that's a lot to put on a plastic bag, but I was inspired, what can I say? Bag? More like sack, because I had a ball watching it and you'd be nuts to miss it. Bag is a fantastic piece of plastic. As a container, it's a no-brainer. Next time you order takeout, the delivery guy you should fake out and ask for extra bags. Uh, the puns are annoying, I know, but they help me to remember. I need to remember. Sometimes there's so much beauty in the world, I feel like I can't take it. Like my heart is just going to cave in. Like the floor in front of Matt Lauer's desk when he hits that secret button. Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Rated R. Welcome to episode 61 of Opening Weekend. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisse. And this week, we travel back to October 1st, 1999, and the release of David O. Russell's Three Kings, starring George Clooney, Ice Cube, and Mark Wahlberg. Sam Mendez's American Beauty, starring Kevin Spacey, Annette Bening, and Chris Cooper. And Jay Roach's Mystery Alaska, starring Russell Crowe, Burt Reynolds, and Mary McCormick. But before we dive into the week's movies, Fred and Dan, where were you boys at the beginning of October 1999? Dan looks absolutely befuddled. He has no idea. Absolutely befuddled. He's got no idea. I barely remember. I don't know. I know exactly where I was. Oh, thank God. Somebody. Uh, I was living on the Lower East Side, and I was starting to work on a film I don't know if we were in, if I was in the final callback process of it or if we were in rehearsal. I don't think we started to shoot just yet, but it was a movie that I did that I met my very good friend who you know, Jason, Nathaniel Eaton. Yes, the chicken man. The chicken man, the chicken man. He was the chicken man for a while. He was the chicken man from the McDonald's commercials. He was the chicken yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, he had, a, he had his own action figure and everything. What? Oh, that's but, yeah, but that's we first met doing this movie. At the time, it was called Project Indie. It's now called, well, then it was called Directing Eddie. Now it's called oh, yeah. Redirecting Eddie. Don't ask me why. I think they were trying to <laughs> re-release it or something. It's it's not a very good movie. 
at all. We had a wonderful time doing it. It's basically about this guy. Oh, this is the movie that I worked with Valerie Perrine on. Actually, I spoke about this before. Yes, you Uh, did. I also worked with Jade Barrymore was in it. It was was our second time working together. You you guys, you're like a regular, you're like uh, Adam Sandler to her daughter. You just (laughs) lots of, lots of collaborations. Yeah, we do. We collaborate a lot. We're like Scorsese and De Niro, uh, Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Scorsese in the MCU. We're just, it's a great collaboration. Scorsese it, and Jade Barrymore. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> wait a minute. But it was a movie about uh, a young man who was trying to direct his first film. And uh, it was, it, I remember going through, you know, several auditions and callbacks with the director. The director and I didn't really we didn't we didn't get along during the filming of it. There was some there was some tension. Uh, and, Did he want uh, you to grow a beard or not grow a beard? Was that, was that, no, was that the he just he he wasn't much of a, his big direction was be funnier, be funnier. If you're funny, you'll get you'll get you'll get cast. That was yeah, like his whole thing. You should have quit that film. You should have quit immediately. <laughs> we, so he was Nathaniel was playing Eddie, directing mm-hmm. Eddie. Right, I was playing his best friend Oliver. Now. When I went up for it during like right at the end of my final callbacks, I was told that Eddie was going to be played by Eric Stoltz. And I was like, holy shit, this is this is pretty big. The director was like, yeah, we got Eric Stoltz. And originally my character was supposed to he was like a wheeler dealer. And I was also supposed to have all these scenes with these celebrities. Now I'm saying celebrities in air quotes because the celebrities at the time, what I was told was, yeah, it's going to be Kenny Rogers, John McEnroe. <laughs> what? And and there was someone else. It was a female. I can't remember. But Eric Stoltz was supposed to play Eddie. So I show up on set the first day and I'm looking for Eric Stoltz. Or the first rehearsal, that is. There's no mm-hmm. Eric Stoltz. It's Nathaniel. What, unbeknownst to me, this director also told Nathaniel, who was playing Eddie, when he was almost about to get Eddie, that Eric Stoltz was going to be playing my role. So we both showed up on the first day. Wow. Like, Where, where's Eric Stoltz? You both Wait. got Stoltz. You got Stoltz. <laughs> you got Stoltz. And needless to say, there was no Kenny Rogers. There's no John McEnroe. We did get to work, oh however, God. with Ed Koch. Mayor Ed Koch. Hey, yeah. that's, that's not so bad. That's so not there that you bad. go. Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor, it's an emergency. I'm looking for a frog who can sing and dance. If he can also balance the budget, I'll hire him. I remember that same week. I remember reading in the news, Kenny Rogers um, showed up at the U.S. Open <laughs> expecting <laughs> to be doubles partners with John McEnroe. But McEnroe had flown down to the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> Expecting to do Islands in the Stream with Kenny Rogers, and it was a whole, it was a whole like gift of the Magi thing. And shockingly, one of them got chocolate inside some peanut butter, and somebody else got peanut butter all over somebody's chocolate. That might have just been a sex thing. Oh, oh my. Oh my. And, and oh my. Jade Barrymore and Valley Valerie Prime are the same person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that's yeah, and that was a big thing. We also got to work. That was the movie where I was calling Val if you go back to I don't know how many I th- it was the Superman episode, I think. Right. Probably. Where I told the story about yeah, how yeah, I yeah. kept calling her Miss Tessmarker. <laughs> right. She yeah. she wasn't finding that amusing at all. You think you think <laughs> she wouldn't find it after six decades? Jade Barrymore, lovely as always. I'm sure though. she was. Did she flash you on this gig like she did on the other gig? 
Oh, she may have. It's probably, it's, it's highly probable. <laughs> it's nebulous. It's hard to tell. We went to Sundance. We went to the Sundance Festival with this. Wow. I totally forgot. However. Did you meet Redford down there? Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing. The mo- We filmed the movie, like I said, not very good, but we had a great time. We really like, Nathan and I became very, very close. We had a good time. We bonded on it. But so several months later, the director's like, hey, so we're going to Sundance. And this is very similar to the Eric Stoltz story. Because like, yeah, we got into Sun, we're going to Sundance. We're like, holy shit, that's amazing. We're in the Sundance Festival? Well, we're, no, we're not in the Sundance Festival. We're in another festival that goes on around that time. Oh, uh, 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 Slam Dance? That was another big one. Uh, no, we're not in the Slam Dance Festival. We're in another one. And there was another one. There was a, a third one, a third tier one. I can't remember what it was called. Ham Dance. Ham <laughs> Dance. <laughs> You're not too far off, Dan. You're not too far off. Because I was like, oh, is it this one? He goes, no, it's uh, it's a, it's called Fresh Fest. Well, I'm like, wait, what? It, I've never heard of that. Well, it's new. Sponsored uh, it's spon- by Taco Bell? No, sponsored by Subway. Why so many people like the taste of Subway sandwiches? It's simple. They only put on what you like the taste of. Every Subway sandwich is made fresh right in front of you. So you choose all the ingredients. We got free Subway all the whole time we were there. But wow. we went, we ended up going to the Sundance Festival. And, and, and Nathaniel for a couple of days was sort of like a minor celebrity because the producers and the director were really smart. His face was on the poster. They got down there early and they plastered all of that area of Park City, Utah with the posters. Oh, so wow. when we the got there, man, everyone though. was like, oh my God, you're Eddie, you're Eddie. You know, a couple of days later, the they were covered up. Oh, he wasn't, he was not yet the chicken man. I don't think he was the so chicken man. So there wasn't man, a conflict yeah. of interest thing with Subway, <laughs> no. in other words. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> he had to like he was sweating it the whole time he was playing the chicken man he was like please don't find out about my, <laughs> about, my about, subway this, about this subway gold card in my wallet <laughs> I feel like the theater might have been in the back of a subway <laughs> get the fuck out, out of here of course it, it really <laughs> was it was such a joke you know oh starting God. from that phone call we're going to Sundance and then <gasps> this you know oh you're God. gonna be acting with Eric Stoltz and then Nathaniel meets oh me my God. so it never <laughs> Oh, let down. The, the, you're screening the movie and somebody's like, uh, I got to make bread now. I got to bake. <laughs> I have to, I have to start baking. <laughs> the, crazy, the craziest part was you went to get your sandwich. Eric Stoltz was serving you. It was like, <laughs> you have exact change, sir. You were like, Eric Stoltz? <laughs> Mask? Is that you? <laughs> what were you guys um, doing? Anything? Anything? Did I jog anything there? I mean, nothing as great as that. I My know. God. No, you know what? The, I had graduated in 98 and I remember it was about a year and change until I moved into the city. So this is about right when I'm moving into the Sharma Shanty with my buddies, Jamie and Dennis. This is this is going to be right around this time. Mm-hmm. I had been a substitute teacher of all things in New York, in New Jersey before moving to New York. So I just, I was either, I had just moved to Long Island City, Queens, or was just about to move to Long Island City, Queens into, we've talked about it many times in the podcast, the Sharma Shanty, which was also the party house, the home of Quattro de Mayo, the home of the, the big uh, uh, Halloween party. Um, but I had just done my first equity contract um, that spring doing Winter's Tale down in uh, down at American Stage in Florida. So I had just joined Equity and it was like, okay, I'm, I'm finally like doing the business, you know, seven years in a row of college. And then it was like, join, you know, get some gigs, get a professional gig, join the union and then move into the city. You guys were already there. So yeah. I was in and out of the city because I was working um, at the worst place 
in humanity, uh, the view, not the TV show, not the TV show, the revolving restaurant at the top right. of the Marriott Marquis, right. which was hell on earth. And then I got the gig and they were like, uh, uh, I was like, can I go, can I, do I have this job again when I come back from this, you know, three month gig in Florida? And they were like, no, you have to start over again. And I was like, thank God, goodbye. And I was like, cause I hated it so much. Yeah. And this is when I started, you know, our friend Aaron Waiton, um, started getting me into into um, catering gigs and and all of that, and this was when oh. that started and that whole season. And I started, you know, making real money for the first time since I got out of grad school. But but yeah, this was moving to the uh, the Sharma Shanti. Now it's so funny because you know I was uh, I I had met uh, our beloved land landlord S P Sharma, and he who we lived at his place for many many years, and he uh, you know was looking through my my. Uh, um, uh, information and everything. And he's like, you live in Island, New Jersey? I said, yeah, that's where I'm from, born and raised. And he was like, I own three properties there. So we immediately bonded because he owned a lot of property in my in my hometown. So weird. So, you told this exact same story did I really on another told episode. Both of these, you told the story about the View restaurant like last year sometime. And you told the story about Island like a couple. Yeah, but it's not your fault. We did. We've done a lot of weekends in 1999. We just did Dick and Iron Giant from 99. Like, two months ago. So you might've said the Island thing around then, but yeah. the view I, restaurant I, you, sometime last year, I remember you telling the story about working there and being like, do I have this job when I come back? And they were like, no. And you're like, fine. Goodbye. I remember that. I do did I, it. did I mention that I lived in Queens that I lived at the Sharma Shanty? Has that <laughs> yes. ever come up? Oh, that's, yeah, come that's up. come yeah. up quite a bit. Yeah. Have I ever mentioned that I was an actor? You're old. This is what it's like when you have conversations with the aged. You have the same conversation over and over again. You'll think you're listening to episode boom, 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 but you're actually listening to the current episode. It's just that I don't remember through the early onset everything. Okay, now listen, we're back Dan, to this. It's it's time for your nap and your vegetables. So, oh, uh, Jason, let's move on to God. you. Yes, well, thank you. And this and hand this me, will put him to sleep because yeah. I really hand, hand me my corn mush. <laughs> Your medication's on its way. Thank you. Oh, mercy. Um, I don't, I, I was really, I was racking my brain for anything interesting to talk about from October of 99. I was like, cause I think, cause again, because I've hit so many of the, you know, that I had, this is when I was wrapping up finally working at Jekyll and Hyde club. This was when I was, I was living in Queens too, but it was before a couple of years before I moved in with you, Dan, cause I was still living with, uh, oh, actually I wasn't in Queens yet. No, I wasn't. I was still on the Upper West Side with Tyler. Here's, listen to this. I want to talk about the elderly. So my great story <laughs> that I remember is, is taking a weekend trip to Stockbridge, Massachusetts, small town in Massachusetts. Tell me about um, well, I went there to like a bed and breakfast with uh, my my girlfriend at the time, and uh, but the thing I remember is Stockbridge is where uh, Nor is where Norman Rockwell's from, and that's where the Norman oh. Rockwell Museum is. Oh. This great, beautiful little fun. museum with all his artwork, and I loved Norman Rockwell's artwork growing up. Like I had books of his artwork when I was a kid. I just loved his style of painting, and so so cool. And I remember I enjoyed it so much. I went back twice. Like I, we went for that trip. I was like, that museum was so cool. And a few weeks later, drove back to Massachusetts to go and see it again. I just wanted to go and look at all the paintings again. You're old. You're old. 
was all this before he recorded Somebody's Watching Me? Or that's just Rockwell? <laughs> oh my. That was not <laughs> Norman Rockwell. <laughs> it was, well, they did a duet, I think, at some point. <laughs> but, uh, no, but the really when cool I thing. Home at night and paint my paintings right. <laughs> no, but as a movie fan, and you guys will appreciate this, the coolest part was there was a floating exhibition, you know, like a guest exhibition there. And it was the work of, and this blew my mind. This is probably more why I wanted to go back a second time. The work of Drew Struzan, the poster artist, who did all the Star Wars posters, the Indiana Jones posters, all all the Police Academy posters, all those like really photorealistic, drawn posters from, especially from the 1980s, mostly. Some in the 90s and 70s, you know, but I mean, really the 80s was his time. And that was like this artwork that we grew up looking at. And all those originals were there. And it was fucking fantastic. And you could, I I love going to museums. I love seeing like the actual you know, the brush strokes are fascinating to me. And like just seeing like the colored pencil, like, like seeing where the mistakes are and how they like, you know, it, cool. it was really fucking cool. And well, you could see the glue on, uh, on all the pictures of Burt Reynolds wigs. <laughs> you, know, you saw the brush strokes. Of that. That's right. Cannibal run. He did the cannibal run posters. Of course oh, wait, he no, did. wait, was he? Oh, yes. That was Burt Reynolds. Of course. Bur- of course. Burt Reynolds second, was a cannibal like, run. That's, oh, that's I, great. I'm getting all his fucking movies mixed up. It yeah. Been amazing. Oh, if he it, did the one for, uh, Mystery Alaska and painted that, that bright shock of white. Yeah, Mystery Alaska. I come bearing the New York Rangers. The New York Rangers? In, in Mystery Alaska. To play against our boys. The NHL feels it'll be great publicity. I don't want to hear another word about a hockey game. We talked about this. Oh, forgive me, Your Honor. I'm fat. We're playing these guys? We're selling this as a human interest story. The Mystery Boys. We don't know who they are or what they are. All we know is they have poor dental health and can skate like the wind. Welcome to Mystery Alaska, a small town named after the reason this movie got made. It's a mystery. You son of a bitch. The town's residents, including Sheriff Russell Crowe and Judge Burt Reynolds, are, to a person, wholly preoccupied with ice hockey and the traditional Saturday game. When Native Son and Sports Illustrated writer Hank Azaria concocts a publicity stunt, which will see the New York Rangers come to Alaska to face off against Mystery's amateur team in a televised match, a hodgepodge of small-town intrigues and petty rivalries must be shelved if the locals are to put up a respectable defense. Directed by Jay Roach of Austin Powers and Meet the Parents fame, Mystery Alaska made $3.1 million over its opening weekend on its way to a total box office of only $8.9 million against a budget of over $28 million. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of Mystery Alaska? I mean, uh, I, it's uh, what am I? Uh, <laughs> Me what too. To, what, what am I supposed to do with this movie? It, it, there's only so much here. There's only it's hockey, right? And if you're into hockey, great. But uh, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with it. It's better than phenomenon. There, there's nothing. <laughs> there's. It's a small towny small town. The cast is great. I'll watch Mary McCormick do anything. She's yeah. terrific. Great cast. You know, it, it, Ron Eldred is good. A Colin Meany. I will watch Meany him do anything. Uh, I, I I like Crow in this, although he's very one note. You know, uh, he's there's really no dynamism. I guess that's uh, Lolita Davidovich is great. They, they, it, it, it's very much about the town. I didn't care for Azaria in it. I I thought he was 
you know, I wanted to know more about him and, and he gets second billing in the thing and he's, he's not in it very much. And Does I wanted to really? know more about, I, yeah, I, didn't I wanted to know more about that character. Give me more, you know, tell me more about his life and his journey. The, the problem when you do a movie about a town is you get little snippets about everybody in the town and you really don't. Crow's character is supposed to be the anchor, you know, but what you, you kind of see his journey coming a mile away and it's not really that much of a journey. He's not really he's sort of struggling with aging, with aging out of the weekly game. Yeah. And you kind of go, mm, it should okay, have focused right. on that more. Okay. This should have been a TV show. This is a TV series. I said, it's yeah, it's Northern Exposure. It's like all yeah, of Northern Exposure. Yeah, <laughs> like, not as interesting. Not as interesting. Or it's yeah. like a, like bad Ted Lasso, like a whole season of Ted Lasso. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. just like, <laughs> here's the sport, which is a backdrop for all the little quirks of the personal of the stories of the characters. Yes. But yes. yeah, no, I agree. It should. Have I been. didn't mind it. I was so I was I, I was I didn't mind it. pleasantly you know. surprised in the beginning. By the end, I was left a little cold, empty. Because I I think exactly what you're saying, Dan. Like it is mm -hmm. it is about the town. The problem is there's so many characters in the town. The problem is in a two hour movie or whatever it is, you can't. There's there's too many characters. To deal with, so a lot of things got shortchanged, and there were all these subplots. I didn't give a shit about the whole. I feel like what, what's her name, Lolita Davidovich. Yeah, yeah. she she's is. Great. Was she in another movie that we did? I feel like she's one of the most she, underused no, actresses. No, she was in. She was in the. She was in the uh, Tim Allen thing, Jungle to Jungle. She's in that. Oh, she was in she that. Was? Right, that was her. Yeah. That whole subplot went nowhere. I didn't buy it at the end. Uh, no. I really like, I've always really liked Ron Eldard. I'm always sort of like in his corner because I saw him play uh, uh, Terry Maloney in, uh, right, in on, the uh, on the waterfront on Broadway. <laughs> so I liked him. Yeah, I agree, Dan. It was a great cast. I, and, and you know what? I thought it was going to be a kid's movie, first of all. That threw me off. Oh. I thought it was going to be like a G-rated hockey movie. And I'm like, oh, this is rated R. I, I, I was the opposite. I thought it was good because you look at the because I'm I've been aware that Mystery Alaska is a thing that exists. I've yeah. known that the movie was a movie for a long time, but I never really knew what it was about. The poster for it mm -hmm. is looks like, you know, it's funny. It's called Mystery Alaska, but it literally looks like the poster for Mystic River, which came out a few months later. It's literally like this yes. dark and blue dark. and black yeah. and just silhouettes. I mean, it looks ominous. I thought yeah. Mystery Alaska especially with the word mystery in the title and the way that poster looked, I thought it was going to be more for adults. I thought it was going to maybe that, not that it was going to be a mystery per se, but that there was going to be a darkness to it. Like, um, I don't know, a darker strain to it or something more serious at least. But this was like very, yeah, it was very, it wasn't quite sitcom. -y. It was, the, quite, it was the, a little melodramatic or quite melodramatic. The, the, the mystery is why do people like hockey? Well, oh, why do people I thought like the hockey it? sequences were very well directed and exciting, but there were very You're few funny. of them. But hockey itself, I, I don't okay. know. I said this about cycling on another episode, I think. I, I think that anything <laughs> I can't do, I like, it's the same thing with like if I see a ballet, I'm like or an opera. It's like, all right, this is, I I I appreciate that the people d d worked very hard to learn these skills, but I can't connect 
to it in any way because it just looks all the same to me. It all looks the same. And that is me. Oh, I disagree with that. I see. I thought the hockey scenes were, I mean, I think it's like any sports movie. I, I find hockey to be very exciting to watch. You do? Yeah. I'm not a huge hockey fan, but I, I think it could be, you know, very exciting to watch. It's, it's fast paced. It, to me, it's, 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 you know, a, a slightly more exciting, more game than, uh, than baseball to watch at times. It's just, just quicker pace. And especially on film, mm. you could sort of take advantage of fast cuts and whatnot, but if I you know, knew I what think was, it was happening, I would I would be able to to appreciate it more. But I don't maybe. know what's happening. No, no, no. I was just gonna say I, I thought it was very very well well filmed, very exciting. And I remember thinking, I was like, well, this part's really well directed. And then I'm like, yeah, but Jay Roach didn't direct it. Jay Roach was not like. And then you know he's got a second unit director who's like knows how to sure. film sports and is filming that. You know, so oh, I. Okay. You know I like I mean. the idea I, of where you know it's this provincial town where this sport, whatever it is, whether it's baseball, whether it's hockey, whatever, there's a sport that means everything, you know, like that's the thing. So that's like a nice, I feel like a base to start where this is where people's identity are based on this game yeah. and the, the, not, not just the sport, but this actual game that takes place every Saturday. I, I think that's a good place to start and interesting. And then you have a character like Russell Crowe, like, what do you do when you are aging out of that identity? You're old. You're old. But it just didn't, it, it didn't, I, I wanted to play more with that. Like I said, it just went in too many little directions. And I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. They're bringing the Rangers, you know, like that, that's, that's a good sort of springboard that this, this, there was a character, like I actually sort of liked the backstory of Hank Azaria. Um, you know, there yes, could have been more, it. but I, I like the idea that, okay, here's this guy who left because he didn't, he didn't identify with that sport. Right. So he's like, I'm getting yeah, out of here. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to make it in the big city. And he writes the story in Sports Illustrated. And that's what sort of brings attention to the town. And okay, great. That's a good springboard. And oh, the idea that the Rangers are coming, like everything, there were all these good little ideas to, it just didn't add up. I was just felt a bit emotionally empty at the end. Fred, it was nice. You, you, but you, said you make a good point, Fred, about it. it, it about the Azaria character, had they done more with it, or even had they made that the the driving force of the story, because everything he's doing is to impress the McCormick character, everything. Yeah. That's a really interesting character study then. You make it about the guy who got out and then is going back. And then you think it's all about, oh, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to um, manipulate the town or exploit the town. He's not doing any of that. It's all for the girl. It's all for the for for you know for her, which it kind of is. But he's such an ancillary character in it that you wind up not caring about him. He's just sort of the he's sort of the villain of the piece, and he's just sort of a one note dick, you know. But that would be an interesting story if they had developed it and perhaps made it the focus of the movie. I think you're right, Fred, when you say because I agree with you that it feels more like a. TV series that's been smashed, like a season of a For show sure. that's been smashed into a two hour running time. Yeah. Because that the whole thing with the range, first of all, it, it, it's not really, not really, really adequately showing us 
the town and what life is really like and the love of the sport. We're being told more that it's like, well, we love these. I mean, within the first two minutes, you know, there's an article in Sports Illustrated and, you know, you know, I mean, it's it's very high concept in that way. In fact, when when it started, I thought, oh, is this. Is this based on something? Is this based on like a, a real story, a story or something? Yeah. And then I'm like, no, it's just. Is it it's, not? No, no, it's not. No. Mm. But it's a very high concepty thing to be like. And then this small town team gets to play the New York Rangers. And what's right. going to happen? It almost felt like if you're thinking in the, in the parameters of a TV season, it almost feels like this is like a second season plot line, like to like spice things up or something after we get to know the (laughs) residents of the town and the love of the game and that there's some sort of, you know what I mean? This seems like the type of thing that you do to like spur on some sort of exciting plot when things have kind of dried up. It just felt like a little, I don't know. It felt a little odd to me. Everything felt rushed through too many characters. It was too much of like, I mean, there's (laughs) They have to signal how much hockey means to the town. Like in the courtroom scene, when the the guy, I don't know the actor's name. The, the I love very, him. Maury, Maury Chaykin. I that's love the actor's Maury name. The Chaykin. overweight He's great. Uh, yeah. Mr. Right. Potato Head. Mr. Potato Head. Mr. Potato Head. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. He's, so he's wonderful, right? And love him. He's in the courtroom and he says that the poor guy and he has the line. <laughs> He's got a heart as big as this courtroom. I said oh, out loud. Oh, brother. Coming. I just said, yeah. oh, bro. well, I knew he was going to drop dead, but I also was like, <laughs> he's got a heart as big as the courtroom. <laughs> so do you, buddy. That's your problem. You're about to drop <laughs> that's, dead. So that's in there. So he, so he dies. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then God. the eulogy, this is a weird movie, right? His eulogy is a fat joke. The whole, they eulogize the man and it's, uh, Russell Crowe being all serious, Jor-El being like, oh, I once asked him, how'd you get to be so fat? Like, this is how you're eulogizing yeah. the man. The, the man's being laid to rest. And it's a fat joke, a fat joke eulogy. It was a and lovely he, story. And then he I was only, very moved by he only, it. You thought that was moving? I didn't yes, find that moving. he said, moving. because my heart is so big, it has to, it grows with every nice person I meet. That's right. That's what the, that's what the man says is a defense mechanism when people come up and say, how'd you get so fat? <laughs> He's like, it's either a gun in his mouth or he comes up with a story about how, well, I guess I just have so much love to give. And then he goes home and he shoves Charleston shoes in his face and he just and he gets fat until he's like basically the corpse in seven. He's just 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 destroying himself in pain. He's in pain. The man's in pain. And then he dies and he gets a eulogy where the, the, the hot town sheriff says, yeah, he was really fat, though, right? I think we can all remember how fat, fat he was. That's basically the. It's a very bad. It's a poorly written scene. If I got if I got eulogized that poorly, I'd come back and haunt the motherfucker. The rest of the movie should have been him saying like, "Why would you say that? What about all my good works?" Anyway, he's not. It's not every man. I guess I wasn't really. I guess I wasn't that into this movie. Um. The scene uh, where it's like Russell Crowe like Russell oh Crow and Mary God. McCormick and he's got the Dear Abby article and he's crossed out every word except the words that describe oh, his wife. Oh, I didn't so like that either. ridiculous. It's yeah. like you can't write a note saying I love you. No, it's bad. He can't. He's too soft-spoken. He's the sort of strong, silent type. No, he's not that strong. And he's not that silent. I like, I think, I think we've hit it on the head. If this was longer, like I thought that the, um, 
you know, the, the, the sex scene that wasn't a sex scene between the, 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 you know, the young girl, the daughter, you know, where mm-hmm. he, he oh, right. basically has, you know, he, he, he has premature ejaculation issues when she takes a condom out. Like yeah. I actually thought yeah. that was a really, it was a great scene. I was taken aback because again, I, I, I like kept thinking, kid. Oh, I thought this was a kid's yeah. movie. This is not a kid's movie, but no. I thought that was a, a very honest, messy literally, uh, you know, sort of lovely scene. <laughs> and I thought they played it really well. They did, yeah. And I, did. I just wanted and the thing with Ron Eldred and Colmini, like that could have been better. Maybe if they just had more time. But I, yeah, I think it was just too much crammed into too short That's a, a time. You all right? The mystery team has a shot, right? A shot at what? Hey, listen, buddy. Do you know where a guy can get a rub and a tug around here? Burt Reynolds. We, okay, so <laughs> this was yeah, after yeah. Boogie Nights, right? Yes, two years after. So was he at this point, was he just pissed because, you know, he was he, he was nominated for the Oscar for that. Didn't he get didn't it. get it. He famously hated Boogie Nights. Like, he didn't even campaign because right. he thought it was such a shitty movie. He doesn't. Uh, was, doesn't was, have was good at taste, this point, I guess. <laughs> I, was he just no, going? Did he, he think, not. like, this was going to be his big Oscar turn? He's like, well, um, this will be the other one. There was something about, like, he was almost too serious. He was very he was, he was serious. Too he severe. was too when, serious. When he was you too first, slick. He, he yeah, had the same haircut slick. and goatee as Boogie Nights. This is just, yeah, he, right. everybody in this movie is rumpled and frumpy and wrinkled except Burt Reynolds, who looks yeah. like he just stepped out, stepped off of a Hollywood movie set and <laughs> got, no, no one in this, no one in this movie goes to a salon. No one has a stylist except Burt Reynolds' character. <laughs> Give me a break. The first shot of him was almost shocking because you is. don't see He's him. so out of place. It's just like a quick close-up of him, you know, like hitting someone with a newspaper, I think. And yeah. just that, with that shock of white hair and the, 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 and yeah, you're right. He looks so slick. If I'm coaching, I need a captain on the ice. Two things we've always had in mystery, a dignity and our illusions. I suggest we cling to both. And then does the slow clap? At the end, oh, you even get a slow clap. I know, but that you one, I really, clap. I, I screamed, Oh no, when he started, yeah. when he started yeah. slow clapping. I was like, Have we not got in 1999? Have we not gotten past the no. I, the Can't Buy Me Love slow clap from 1987? <laughs> We're still doing the slow clap, and that's still uh, working. The slow uh, clap was perfected uh, in the movie uh, Lucas uh, with Corey Haim. It was, it, it's never been topped since then. When Just was that? Let it was go. that after or before Can't Buy Me Love? I know we talked about it in Can't Buy Me Love because uh, it happened. Uh, Lucas, movie. I don't know. I think it was, mm. maybe it was before. Might have been before. Was, yeah. Yeah. They do oh, a great slow clap spoof in one of the uh, Not Another Teen movies. Yeah, movies I love that movie. Somebody comes up and movie. just starts to do the slow clap. <laughs> no one joins in. And so he just sits <laughs> quietly back down. He does that like five times in the movie. It's very Oddly funny. enough, it's funny that you say that because I was looking up Burt Reynolds' career because I was like, wait, was this before? Was this after Boogie Nights? He yeah. did a Not Another Movie, but it was it's called Not Another, Not Another Movie. No. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it must have been like a straight-to-video thing. It must have You're been lying. like right before he died. No, look, at I, look on IMDb. Why would I lie about this? I'll just bite my tongue, think happy thoughts, and get through this. Russell Crowe kind of felt out of place to me in the whole thing. He kind of mm. felt like like slumming in a weird way that he, he just yeah. didn't, he didn't feel like he really belonged in this. Um, 
Oh. I don't know. It was like, yeah, it was, it was, it, it did make me think of Northern Exposure or there was another, there was another series. It was very short lived, uh, with Anne Heche called Men in Trees. It was a, it was a TV series oh, yeah. again that took, oh that was gosh. set in Alaska. And it's like, you know, and anything set in Alaska is, seems to be about like, oh, these quaint, odd, you know, small right. town people. Life's just a little different. Yeah. You're in Alaska and that's uh, fine, but you know, it, it does lend itself a little more to uh, a series. Like this is the type of thing where this movie, if this movie had been more successful, it would have gotten spun off into a series or something. You know what I mean? That you could, could easily, easily see that. Yeah. yeah. It was almost Jesus. like, I wonder if they, if that's what they were doing. Maybe. You know, like making Trying this the idea. It. it also kept reminding me a little bit, I don't know why, of the movie Beautiful Girls with Timothy Hutton I and Natalie Orton. Uh, Michael Rappaport. I always, there was something about that too, just in terms of the dialogue that I, I kept going back to that. Um, ultimately, mm. I, I like that movie more, but yeah, it was, when I, <laughs> like, there was, there was a good portion of where I thought, oh, this is going to be a nice surprise. This is pretty good. And then, I, I yeah, just, it kind of, it, it kind of, after about a half hour, 40 minutes, I was like, oh, I don't think this is going to really go yeah. anywhere. No, it didn't right. really. Right. Mike Myers, ridiculous. That was ridiculous. That, ridiculous. Took me out that really took me out too. I was like, <laughs> I like Mike Myers, but I was like, this no. was like really like Jay Roach was, you know, this yeah. was right after Austin Powers too. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and he's hot shit. And he was like, yeah, my buddy, mm -hmm. like, can you come in and just do a day and just improv yeah. a little bit? And that's, it was, that's you know what did. I say? You know what I say? Puck this movie. Oh. <laughs> that's what I say. Now that, now that's a tagline. Puckish movie. Puckish movie. No, I don't. I wouldn't puck this movie, but I don't think I would give it too high a Sheila either. I don't where know. Do you, where do you I, sit? I, I, I wouldn't not Rick. I mean, it's fine. Like if it's on, <laughs> I'd, I'd have it on in the background while I'm, you know, uh, you cool knitting. Cool you down on a hot summer day. That's for sure. <laughs> putting cool it on. Down. I mean, I don't know. A, 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 a six, a five. Uh, I had a, six. I yeah, six. six. I guess yeah, a I'll six. Go, just so that we get the number of the beast, we'll go six. <laughs> and we have six, six. Is this our first six, six, six? It might it be. It might be, actually. Uh, um, Burt Reynolds did oh look like Mespistopheles. He did. <laughs> Your mother sucks cocks in hell, Terrence. And my favorite part of the movie really was the very end when the two teams were congratulating you know when when they yes. were skating up to the rangers and, was lovely. and shaking hands because that felt like more than even playing the game or whether they won the game or lost the game it was like it's like the way we feel as actors when you're like there's somebody you admire and you work yeah. with them and you share a, uh, you play a scene with them or you're in an audition room with them or something or you have a just a conversation at a bar with them and you're like oh this, this is a a peer i'm i'm meeting them on some level yeah. and literally that moment of them meeting shaking hands saying good game that was that was my favorite part and i thought that probably it, you felt like it meant a lot to that team to just engage with such a high profile professional team in that way and i thought that was great i wish the movie was a little more about that uh, and the hockey scenes were i thought they were going to be actually a little more brutal and violent like i feel like there was more brutality and violence in the relationship between david o russell and george clooney <laughs> when they're beating the shit out of each other on the set of Three Kings than they were on this. I think you're absolutely right, Hockey Fred. Movie. I think you're yeah. right. Pack this movie. Pack it. <laughs> Let's go see Three Kings instead.
You son of a bitch. Three kings. I'm talking about millions in Kuwaiti bullion. You mean them little cubes you put in hot water to make soup? No, not the little cubes you put in hot water to make soup. Stay back! Orders from President Bush! You open that door now. Where's the gold? Saddam stole it from the sheets. I have no problem stealing it from Saddam. Just after the end of the first Gulf War, four American soldiers led by cynical Sergeant Major Archie Gates, played by George Clooney, decide to steal a cache of Saddam Hussein's hidden gold. In the process, Sergeant Troy Barlow, played by Mark Wahlberg, is captured and tortured by Iraqi intelligence, while the Iraqi rebels Gates and company encounter during their mercenary mission beg the Americans to help them fight against the impending arrival of Hussein's elite guard. Also starring Ice Cube, Spike Jones, Jamie Kennedy, and Nora Dunn, Three Kings proved both a triumph and a scandal for its writer and director, David O. Russell, as the film was critically acclaimed, but remains infamous for the multiple confrontations between Russell and Clooney when the latter felt the former was mistreating crew members and extras on set. Three Kings was a modest hit, earning $15.8 million over its opening weekend, on its way to a $60.6 million domestic haul, and a worldwide box office total of $107.7 million. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of Three Kings? I haven't seen it in a long time. This was, I think I mentioned on the last episode, this was the first DVD I bought. I know, you said that. And I remember I bought it because I remember thinking, oh, I didn't see this movie. So let me- Oh, really? Which which seems strange, but I was like, I want the first DVD I buy to be a what I think is going to be a good movie that I've never seen. Oh, how funny. It seemed like the right way to start. (laughs) I don't know. And I- I, chose this one and I remember watching it. So I didn't see it when it first came out. At least I don't remember. No, I think that's what it was. It was the DVD. But I remember watching, I remember watching the documentary afterwards. This is where you can watch on YouTube as well. Mm. It's um, David O. Russell, like films himself in the audition process and everything. And Mm. it's a little documentary, but uh, I really liked it then. And I really, really, really enjoyed it on this rewatch. It's got, it's got such a great look. To it, you know, it reminds me. It's, I think it's, it might be one of the better war films. It's sort of, it's up there with Apocalypse Now. I think mm. in like it's a great anti-war it, film. Yeah, it's, it's a great it anti-war film, but it's all just like in it in the absurdity and the mm-hmm. grotesqueness and like yes. you know the whole movie, especially the 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 first half, just reminded me of the surfing scene in Apocalypse Now, mm. where it's just like this crazy shit happening in the strangest place. You know, there's helicopters flying, there's smoke, there's napalm, and these guys are surfing. It it, it was that just, it was like dreamlike. It was like a fever dream, Mm -hmm. the whole movie. And uh, I I love the cinematography and how it's filmed. And I I was looking it up and they use this, um, it's, it was called on, it was called ectochrome, ectochrome transparency stock. Mm. So, and it's used, it was cross-processed in color negative chemicals. So it gives, so that's why it has like this weird washed out 
feeling you know the colors are all washed out and is that and different from what they used on megaforce what was that what did they use on, <laughs> what did they use what was the thing they that was used? a crayon that's what they used <laughs> uh, it was no, called was crayola the, what was the filming technique that was called oh, that, um, oh, right that was uh what was that what was that <laughs> what called was that? uh oh oh something uh oh, what was it vision intravision no something like that intravision that's what it was yes that's right so this was not fit what you're saying is this was no. Three Kings was not filmed in intro vision. No, but my okay. God, can you imagine George Clooney and Barry Bostwick's baby blue headband? <laughs> oh that would have been amazing. It's like really expensive, but even like in the expansiveness, it's claustrophobic. You're, it's something that's a the good way point. it's filmed. Yeah. It's like with the fisheye lenses or something. Even when you have these, you you just feel the confusion. Yes. At least I did yeah. watching this, which is what I feel like watching Apocalypse Now. It's just complete confusion. I mean, the first line in the movie: "Are we shooting people?" Yes. Like, what a yeah. brilliant way to open, oh. and that's how you feel the whole way. Who are we shooting? Who Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Who's on our side? Who's on their side? You don't know, and they don't really know. And there's this, the, you know, it's such a prescient movie, you know, because yeah, you forget watching it again. I'm like, oh no, this is the first Gulf War. This isn't after 9 right. 11. This is the first Gulf War. This yep. is with Kuwait. Yep. Whoa. Congratulations, my man. You shot yourself a raghead. Dag, didn't think I'd get to see anybody shot in this war. Oh, take my picture. It's so absurd that they're like, well, if if you're with the like, there there are hundreds, hundreds of Iraqis, but they're like, but with if if we're these three Americans, we'll be safe. Yeah, you know, and everyone yeah. listens, and it's like, why? You have you're a hundred people, and you have guns, and you're just gonna shut up because they're American. It's it's really weird. It's it's hard to figure out why everything is happening. And I think that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. It's I a think. huge part of the point is that American exceptionalism or the idea of it. And 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 another huge part of the point is what we what we choose to do once the mission is complete. Yeah. And that and that's a big that's a big piece of this puzzle. What are you gonna say, Fred? No, exactly what you would just say. Like we try to show all the superiority and like right. control and we can fix it, but we just cause more confusion. But we, but, but it's because we don't fix it. It's exactly. Because we go in, complete the mission. Okay. We got Iraq out of Kuwait mission accomplished. We leave. leave the There's mess. no security for anyone who's left behind to, to still live and try to th make a life under this regime of Saddam Hussein. There is no, so, so there's, so they live, they're immediately in an insecure um, environment, more arguably more insecure than they were before. Um, there's still no power, water, food, <laughs> education system. No, nothing is set up for, for the, for the community, for communities to thrive. So what happens? The warlords take over and, you know, and, and we're seeing the upshot of this again and again and again and again. And it is brought into such high relief because of what's happening in Afghanistan right freaking now, today, yeah, now. And watching this movie amid watching the news every day about what's happening in the Middle East, it was so deeply powerful to me. I was like yeah. crying watching this movie. I was like, we never learn. 
We never fucking no. learn. And you want to know how all this is shit started? Watch watch the movie Charlie Wilson's War, which is all oh, right. about, yeah. you know, yeah. which tells you about the Reagan era shit that we where we pull this same kind of thing. We go in, we complete a mission, a very specific mission with specific goals. We get out and the warlords come in and take over. Fast forward and you have 9-11. We also do it. It's not even for the right reasons either. You know, I mean, he says that there's the one character who's fantastic, the young Iraqi soldier. Yes. Where he's basically like, yes. this is why, you know, this is it. He takes and the he oil out. That know. was the one thing I remembered from having seen the movie before because I, 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 I couldn't remember a lot of it because I have seen this I before, but I remember that. him pouring the oil down um, Mark Wahlberg's uh, gullet there. Yeah. That is uh, and using Saeed. The, the CD case to like hold his. Yes, but of yeah, all I mean. things. What is the problem with Michael Jackson? You understand my question? No, I'm not sure I do. The king of pop. Woohoo. Hee-hee. It is so obvious. A black man made the skin white and the hair straight, and you know why? No. You sick fucking country make the black man hate himself just like you had the Arab and the children you boom over here. Saeed Tagmawi um, is so good in it, as is Cliff Curtis as the father, Amir Abdullah. Um, yeah. Oh, and that's yeah. little Aliyah Shawkat from, uh, from, from. Get uh, the from, hell from, out of yes, here. Yes, as the daughter. Oh, from, my God. From I was thinking, I was like, that little girl yeah. is so familiar. That's. Yeah. Oh that's, my God. She's Are you from kidding Development. me? I didn't know that. I, well, I just did a scene I, with her in Search Party last Are month. You kidding? Yes. She's the little girl in Three Kings. Oh my the God. Loveliest. She's and she's terrific in Arrested Development. She yeah. winds up having No, she's career. brilliant. But, but um, oh Cliff gosh, Curtis and Saeed Tagmawi are, are, are just um, uh, terrific in it. And, uh, um, you know, you really, really, really feel. Um, uh, the pain of of the of the Iraqi people uh, in this, and and how they how we basically, you know, um, left them to their own to their own devices to be back under that regime again. I love this movie. I always yeah, have. I, I saw it, it in the theaters. It was, you know, n- 1999 is historically considered one of the all time great years for movies. Mm-hmm. And I, I even have a I have a book about it that's right here. Like 1999, best movie year ever. It's a book. It's an, a mm, book that yes. came out uh, about I've a year ago. That, yeah. yeah, it's it's considered to be like this incredible in one year. It's like a golden age of cinema because of everything mm. you <laughs> had going on from Sixth Sense and The Matrix through, you know, a lot of the things that we've we've talked about on the show before 1999. Again, it's come up a lot. Um this was my favorite movie of that year. This was ah. my favorite movie of 1999. I haven't seen it in a long time. I loved it every bit as much as I ever did. I have seen it multiple times. I And again, and it did, It you know, kind of the most, the highest compliment you can pay this movie. And it is also the saddest thing you can say about it is that it is that it's only become, like you say, more resonant yes yes resonant i mean it, because of what's happening in the world right now and it, and the movie could be made today it's 22 years old uh, if it was made yeah. today if david o russell made this movie this year if yeah. it was released this fall or sometime next year everybody would be saying oh how how how, how great how, how and how clever it was to take a look back to uh, yep. The yeah. Gulf War of 1991, yeah. 30 years later, and see like all the mistakes we've made in the years since and reflect back on the mistakes we've made before. You know, there's the yes. fantastic line, which you talk about resonance, uh, Clooney's line saying, tell me what we, says, tell me what we did here. 
And then his commanding officer is like, well, what do you, what's the, what's the option? You're going to occupy Iraq and have Nam all over again. And that's exactly what the argument is right yep. now. Right right we've now. been in Afghanistan for 20 yeah. years. You're either going to get out eventually or you, you know, or you're going to be here forever. And when you get out, it's Vietnam again, because you're well, not setting them up for success. You're not no. doing the things that you should have done. Cause that's not the mission. Isn't that's not the mission to build yeah, nations. Michael C. Wilkinson yeah. says it's, it, this is a media war. He says that. He says it right in the beginning. Yeah. Right in the beginning. This is a media war. Get used to and it. And I remember you. this. We all remember this war very well, but I was in, I had just turned 20 years old a month before uh, we went into the Gulf and I remember like coming back to Hofstra to uh, start rehearsals for Hamlet. That's what was happening mm-hmm. in uh, mm-hmm. the winter of 91. And I, I opened up my dorm room door and uh, it was my birthday. I came back on my birthday. I had turned 20 years old and Carlin Vaney, our uh, my, my classmate and Jeremy Vaney, our friend, Jeremy Vaney's sister. Mm-hmm. She had slipped a note under my door saying, happy birthday. Hope you don't get drafted. And we were all worried about getting drafted we thought that jim petro and i would talk about it all the time we were like we're like oh my god i'm worried that they're going to reinstate the draft while we're here and like you know (laughs) we had no idea we thought we could be there for years there hadn't been a conflict like that in our minds we're like there's vietnam and then there's nothing quite like it in the 20 years you know or whatever 15 to 20 years uh, in between and then you feel like what is this mission what is going to happen what how long is this going to last and i remember being so relieved when it was done but i didn't understand what had happened you know two years after this 9 11 happens mm. three and a half years after this we're back in iraq this movie really kind of disappeared for a while it wasn't yes. I, you know for a movie that yeah. is so recent and so good so critically acclaimed and relatively successful like f- financially pretty successful for what it was you know that's for a movie like this yeah it really kind of disappeared and it did yeah. did not re- yeah, right it didn't break through the conversations around the second iraq war i mean i think there was really a lid kept on it because it was it was kind of unpopular to be anti the i mean not unpopular, but you know what I mean? Like, I mean, there was, I know exactly a, what you mean. Yeah. I mean, I know we were among those USA. protesting it, it, but it was also a yeah. moment where you really felt like you were in the minority. If you had an issue with doing mm-hmm. anything, 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 anything deemed necessary to secure the homeland. And, uh, mm-hmm. it's very interesting because now to look at it again, this is probably the first time I've watched it since I don't think I've, I don't think I'd as much as I loved it. And I probably saw it two or three times after you know watching it initially in the theater and i bought the dvd myself i don't think i've seen it in about 50 in more than 15 years maybe in 20 years i don't know if i've seen it since 9 11. honestly you're right it's almost too painful to yes and it's and it's It's very it's painful to to realize to watch something that tells you you didn't learn your lessons you know what i mean Mm, like yeah to complicate your feelings in that way especially uh, today yeah but what i like about it as well is it never hits you over the head with that. It's never, to me, it's never like, say, say, Correct. get it. It's just, you're living with, and, and that's a part of the, the how it's filmed as well. You really feel like you're in there. Like, so there's so many camera shots where they're like right up in, yeah. you know, it almost, they almost look like POVs, but then they're not. Then they pull out and you're like, oh, that's not a POV. Mm-hmm. But you feel like you're in there. You're part of the confusion. So there's never mm-hmm. a moment where it stops and someone's like, and here's the lesson or you get it. There's uh-huh. none of that, which I think is, is, you know, really admirable of a film like this, where it's just, it's, you know, it's like, like you said, like a Kubrick or Apocalypse Now or one of those movies where you're just in it 
What is the most important thing in life? What are you talking about? What's the most important thing? Respect. Too dependent on other people. What, love? A little Disneyland, isn't it? God's will. It's close. What is that? Necessity. As in? As in people do what is most necessary to them at any given moment. Right now, what is most necessary to Saddam's troops is to put down the uprising. We can do what we want. They won't touch us. But it's not satirical in the way an, uh, the, a Kubra, you know, strange love is. You know what I mean? It's uh, just, it's I, very, I it's, uh, did you find there are satirical uh, elements in there? Yes, yeah. I think there are definitely moments. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. When, uh, I don't find it. I find it just so, I guess maybe because I'm too depressed by it. Yeah. <laughs> I just find it so hyper, almost hyper realistic in a way, mm. you know, because especially when, you know, they shoot Cliff Curtis's, uh, uh um, wife in the head. Well, that's when that, everything I mean, changes. I like, oh my that, God. That oh my to God. me is when, that's when the movie right. changes. It I think shifts. before that, it is much yeah. more satirical. Not yeah. so much. It's writing, a, to me, Thin it's writing a there. really fine line. Yeah. You know, just that, you know, there's, that's my, my Iraqi ass map, you know, just yes. like pulling the, the map out of its, uh, out of the guy's ass. Um, yeah, you're right. Some you're of right. the stuff with Nora Dunn, you know, yeah. uh, yes. the whole media war thing. But then, yes, that's the, the moment. The cow blowing up, you know, the on the cluster exactly. bomb and important pieces of cow. Oh, like that's all, in that all feels like it would be in a Kubrick film. But yeah, then, you're yeah. right. You're right. But that moment, yeah. I wrote that down exactly when, when the wife gets shot, yeah. oh, everything changes God. for the, for us as viewers and yeah. for the characters too and oh, and, and when so that bad. milk truck turns over and and oh. the and the women and children are drinking yeah. milk out of the mud like out of the filth right, to get that was so jarring as well i'm not saying not on the same level as the, the woman getting shot but there was like a oh like it's like a gut punch it's like look at the people yeah. look at what they're doing yes. look at what they're willing to do would you do yes. you would not you know, this is the the dire dire straits that these people are They're in, and, and you start. Yeah, you're. It's start, and we're not doing. Starts hitting you in the face in a really uh, uncomfortable way because before then it does feel like you know it's it's you know it's all it's a heist movie too. It's a it's a yes. dark comedy that's also about a, a yeah. You you think it's going to go <laughs> down a whole other path. The gold, it, you know, one of the most beautiful moments is. It's like it's like they're finally in the aftermath of the war. They're finally doing what we expect heroes and soldiers yes. to do. They're they, trying to they do something for the, the yeah. for the good. And you, that, one of the best moments is when I, I honestly can't remember. It's Wahlberg is trying to carry the gold and save the children, yeah, and then he he's got to drop the gold to to get the children. Yeah. I think it's I think it is Wahlberg. I can't remember yeah. if it was Wahlberg, but just. That idea, it's like it's it's encapsulated right there. The struggle to be like, I want to hold on to this, this thing that's about me, me, me. And mm -hmm. also, if I can help them in the process, great. And then you have to make a choice. So you can't you can't do both. You have to either decide to be selfish or selfless and then. You know, it's great. It's it's really, really great. I think Ice Cube is tremendous in this movie. He's, so he's, good. he's such a, you know, he's great in Boys in the Hood, but it, but this is, uh, you know, uh, the moment when he prays, you know, oh, what I mean? yeah. where, where, where that 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 group of, you know, it's almost like they they come out of the mist. It's very mystical. They, they sort of come like out of the It's like science fiction. It looks like from Star Wars with those masks That's on. That's what I was yeah. going to say. It's like the Tuscan Raiders or yes. the Jawas coming out. And they, and they, they, and it's a holy, 
place mm-hmm. and ice cube kneels down to to pray alongside them and everything and I, I was just i was very moved by that i was very moved by his by his performance i just thought that he that was, they were all made everyone else you know he was kind of the the it came back to ice cubes character kind of being the 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 voice of reason at at, at many different points in it you got kicked out of that ring of jesus fire huh that ain't how it worked how's it work take care of whatever he puts in front of me no questions asked he put that gold in front of me and i took it that's how it works what about now i don't know i gotta see um and i love that in that scene where he is talking to the wife the stark contrast between the safety the security the american life and lifestyle that we're all so used to and we all take for granted and here she is yeah exactly with the kids in the kitchen in the suburbia writing on the dry erase board and trying to schedule something like it was like for us like the end of a show like well i thought you closed on the 12th can we do something on the 14th and it's like it's like i'm not back yet babe i'm not in the middle of he's in the middle of iraq fighting for his life yeah you know and so is everyone else there and then that great moment where he envisions the 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 death of the you know he and we envision the death of his captor's um uh, child through the through the the crushed Mm -hmm. you know ceiling Mm -hmm. the ceiling crashing in and then he envisions his own family yeah, you know, blowing up um, in a in a horrible explosion, and so you see you 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 see the change happening in his mind because it's happening within our mind. It's a great thing David yeah. Russell is doing there. He's making us have to look at what it would be like if if America was devastated. Yeah, in the way that Rock was. He's really a brilliant filmmaker. But yes, he is yeah. brilliant. He might be a son of a bitch, and 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 he's hit or miss for me. Like this, the fighter. American uh, Hustle. Oh, yeah, I love yeah. I love those movies. Then you got I Heart Huckabees. I can't. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't go for that one. And uh, there's another. Oh, Silver Linings Playbook. Silver I don't Playbook. care. I don't like that one. Oh, I, I like that one a it lot. Did, but I mean, he is hit and miss for me. But when he's but when he works for me and I know other people love those movies that I just mentioned, I didn't care for. He's really, really great. But he is. You know, he is like you, you, there's that famous YouTube video of him fighting with Lily Tomlin. There's yeah. the stories of mm. George Clooney, you know, like the nicest guy in Hollywood, you know, next to Tom Hanks, like you, <laughs> taking him to task. And you're like, well, that yeah. guy, he's got a strain of son of a bitch in him, I'm sure. He but, really you know, does. Yeah. What's upsetting talented. is you is you watch the um, you know, I mentioned there's a documentary that comes with the DVD and it's David O. Russell basically chronicling how we put the movie together and it shows the casting sessions. It shows him meeting with all like he's riding his bike through the city and he meets, he sees Spike Jones on a corner, you know, he meets George Clooney in the Ritz. And uh, you know, it's funny, George Clooney, I was reading, you know, he was this was his sort of his first big thing. He was still really only known for ER. ER yeah. And he was really fighting for this because originally Oh, David O. Russell really wanted Clint Eastwood. Yeah. There were all these other actors that he wanted. Well. And they kept saying no. And Clooney was really campaigning for it. And David O. Russell was like, no, 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 no. And then he, he Clooney finally won him over by writing him a letter where he signed it like George Clooney, TV actor. <laughs> and I guess, yeah. you know, David O. Russell was like, all right, he's self-deprecating. But, you know, it's it's upsetting because you watch when they first meet. And George Clooney, yeah, is like the nicest guy. He's so excited to be there. And they just seem like they're getting along so well. Uh-huh. And and then just Amen. to hear how it all breaks down. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of Ugh. it, I mean, you know, and it comes out in the filmmaking because there is so much that's just chaotic and, and all over the place. 
And from what I was reading, like David O. Russell shows up, at least with this movie, there was nothing storyboarded. You know, he didn't, there was no plan, which a lot of people aren't used to, mm-hmm. you know, especially cinematographers. And I think, mm-hmm. I think the cinematographer might've quit. Someone walked oh, away wow. because he would just show up and he, he didn't know. He was like, let's do this. Let's, and, it, and you know, that slowly just sort of descended into chaos on the yeah. set. But as a filmmaker, I mean, some of the no stuff ways. he does, like you mentioned the firefight before, that was beautifully shot. I love, the, so much excellent. of the film was so frenetic yeah. and quick and fast. And with the firefight, everything just stops. Yeah. And it's so slow. And it's like, you're in that moment, just watching your life, yeah. you and know, just go. cuts out, yeah. Yeah, go real slow. It's Ugh. just, it's all slow-mo. It's completely surreal. And the tear gas scene, like you mentioned before. Yes. The, the brilliant, the, the thing that I think is one of the most memorable uh, elements of this movie is his uh, re- the recreations, the special effects of uh, gunshot wounds sepsis. and seeing yeah. the sepsis that, yeah. that takes hold. And, uh, and it's really, I, thought I was back watching crank again. For me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, but I think it's, uh, I think it's really fantastic. He's a really visionary, brilliant filmmaker. Uh, does it, you know, I read something that George Clooney was saying like, will I ever work with him again? No, absolutely not. Never. Do I think he deserves Oscars and acclaim? Yes. Yeah. He's like, he's wow. brilliant. You know, wow. the work is good. I won't work with him. Yeah, and yeah, some people don't have a problem. It. Obviously there are people, you know, great <laughs> actors Wahlberg who work with him again and again, again, you know, yeah. um, but he, uh, yeah, Christian Bale, who you love, uh, you know, a lot of people will, will go, will go back. To, and again, and who knows well, what he's like now, too. You know, this is 22 years ago. Sure. You know, he may, you know, he was a young director and, and who, who knows? You don't who knows? yell at a Lily Tomlin. I'm sorry. Uh, right. you, that, was, not, that was five years later. That's true. He, so he was still a son Lily of a Tomlin, bitch. Period. You let her, you be nice to Lily Tomlin. No, I think, yeah, I think he's, <laughs> I, let, let's face it. I think he's an asshole. And I also am like, I, you know, I mean, I think we all uh, are, have zero tolerance for abusers in, in our industry. So, I mean, I, I, I have complicated feelings about it because there are some of his movies that I really love, but I also yeah. don't, you know, I, I don't like to see bullies succeed, but, uh, right. you know, I can't, I, I, I can't get past how much I, I really love this movie. Yeah. I think it's great. How many Sheila's? Nine. I'm thinking nine too. I don't know why I wouldn't just give it a 10. But I'm going to go the full 10. I was thinking, I was like, I was like, hey, is it a nine, 9.5? I was like, I just, it held up, it beyond held up for me. It, it held up to everything I remembered loving about it. And it is, it remains my favorite movie of a very, very high profile movie year. And I actually think it's, it grows in my estimation Partly because of, you know, not just how well it holds up as a piece of art, that it's not dated in a, or that nothing about it has dated for me, but it's actually gotten more, um, uh, more significant in, in, uh, in this moment that we're in, you know. Um, so you're a 10 on it. I'm going to go a full 10. And it was your favorite movie of 99. Yeah, it was. It was and so we're giving so, it a nine so, and a nine. So. <laughs> Perfect. Interesting. So you liked it better than Elmo and Grouchland, which also came out in 99. <laughs> Absolutely. Fuck off. And you Absolutely. liked it better than Bicentennial Man? I, there's, I like, there's nothing I like uh, less than Bicentennial <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to go back. I forgot to read this to you. I saw this for Mystery Alaska. Yeah. Just Uh-oh. real quick. When I was looking up the movie, I found a review 
This is, I don't know who this is. It was from five months ago. A gentleman on the internet by the name of Spencer Kissack. <laughs> Come on. It says, and I just, I, I had to take a screenshot of it because I thought this was a great review. He gives it a 9.7 out of 10. So it sounds like something like a, it, he sounds like he's akin to one of your Sheila ratings, Dan. <laughs> For Mystery Unquest- Alaska? Yeah, listen to the review. Unquestionably one of the greatest movies ever made in Alaska. Nominated for 15 Academy Awards, it picked up 11. Six of them just for Russell Crowe's scintillating performance alone. Francis Ford Coppola claims it's to be its best work, even though he had absolutely nothing to do with it. Totally recommended. Dude. Fuck off. I thought that was a great review. Ridiculous. That's ridiculous. We should do that. We should just post fake reviews. <laughs> we got a things. lovely review I wanted to read. Oh, good. Go go. Really? Super quick. From if where? I can find From it. Who? Uh, my friend Melanie, who is has been devouring the podcast. So if you're listening, Melanie, thank you. Thank you, Melanie. She said, I, I want That's you to nice know that I've you. now gone back and listened to episodes one through 18 and episodes 39 to 59. I'm working my way back up from 19 to 39. I have now spent many hours with you all. <laughs> it is an absolute delight. I'm so glad I'm the same age because it hits me right in the nostalgia zone. Uh, and since I just listened to episode 18, as someone who worked in a killer independent record store in the 90s, I can confirm that Empire Records is a piece of shit. <laughs> We never did a seance, but we did once have to clean up human excrement from outside the front door. Wow. We also got some responses to our uh, top 10 gangster film. You know, what's your favorite gangster film? Uh, Eastern Promises came up a couple times. Yeah, I never got Mortensen's Sweaty Balls in that movie. It's a good one. Carlito's Way. (laughs) That's Carlito. Because that's that's Carlitos. That was a dream that our good friend Pete Jim Bob yeah. had, right? He had a dream Wait, that was he was seeing. Did he have the dream or did I have the dream? I thought I had the dream. And I oh, told him. Yeah. Oh, is that it? I had the dream and Al Pacino's like holding somebody over the side of a bridge. Well, I'm pretty sure now Pete might be like, dude, that was my dream. dream. But I feel like this is very like dreamscape or inception yeah. or something. Oh. Maybe we shared it. I thought I had the dream because I remember it being like, Pacino holding somebody over a bridge, like by one leg, and then dropping him and saying, Cause that's Carlito's way. (laughs) And then, and then, and then he said, June 23rd. And then Pacino says the release date in the ad. No, but wasn't it, wasn't it? I thought it was Peace Dream because I thought in the dream, Al Pacino was holding, uh, it was Sean Penn, and he was going, You've been a bad, bad boy, Sean Penn. And then he dropped him and said, Cause that's Carlito's I don't remember. That's so funny. Well, that sounds like something Pete would dream. I would not dream about Sean Penn ever, but, um, no, maybe it was, maybe it was, maybe it was Pete's dream. And I just have talked about it so much over the decades. It's become yours. It's it's really, it's everyone's dream, right? Can we, I think we can all share that dream. For Pacino to say the title of his movie and then the release date. (laughs) And And, wink, wink at the camera. And call the other character Sean Penn. (laughs) I remember Pete, maybe it was Pete who dreamt it because Pete was very excited about Car- Carlito's way. Yes, and that's I what it was. Given, thought. I couldn't have given half a hot shit outside of a record <laughs> store. I, uh, I, I couldn't care about Carlito. And I actually watched Carlito's way ultimately at Pete's house. Were you with me, Fred? Probably. Yeah. It was like, I saw his, it in the theaters oh, oh, and then I, yeah, I think I, I watched it again. I there never saw it in the theater, but I saw it. I remember watching it at his house and he was so 
into it. Maybe we were both there and he was like, see, see, and then this, and then this, and De Palma, right? It was De Palma made that. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, not into it. I'm not, I'm nonplussed. It it didn't do it for me, but anyway. Well, the long good Friday is a movie that did it for our old friend, uh, Rich Leak. There was a Bob Hoskins movie, which I've never seen. I've always wanted to see it. Uh, We had mentions of, uh, out of sight snatch, Yes. Uh, not the television series that, that we did, Jason, <laughs> the eel-like creature that was inside of uh, Geneva Carter. Out of Giant. sight. So you're talking about Clooney. Uh, out of sight was the year before Three Kings. Out of oh, sight yeah, is 98. Right. You know, uh, I, I just wanted to say one thing about the Clooney thing, which is that, you know, I, I as, a, as a Batman fan, I have a lot of pain and anguish. Uh, regarding Batman and Robin, as many people, as many people yeah. who just like movies, uh, mm-hmm. feel a lot of pain and anguish about that film. But <laughs> maybe the greatest thing about Batman and Robin is that George Clooney to this day keeps apologizing for it and was so mortified <laughs> by it. It was his first, that was his first big thing yes, out of the ER. Right. And, and, and that he was like, I'm never going to do another movie again that I don't really, really believe in that I don't think is going to be good. He's like, because this, I didn't necessarily, I was like, I have to do it. It's Batman in my career. I need to do this. He's like, I told myself I would never make another decision like that for that reason to further my career in that way. And, Hmm. you know, he would have done a lot of these movies no matter what, but I mean, you got in rapid succession, out of sight, three Kings, Oh Mm -hmm. brother, where art thou? I mean, it's just the hits just keep on coming. I mean, he's made a lot of excellent films and, and, uh, the, I can't really think of another film that you would say, oh, Clooney clearly did that for the money. Don't really see those. You know what I mean? There's not sure. many that you don't really have. Don't. Yeah. Uh, they may not work. They may not be one. successes. But, you know, but in terms of like what the artistic merit that he might must have seen in it, you can always kind of say like, well, I get why he did that. And it's not because it's a yeah. franchise thing. But anyway. <sighs> Rosemary Clooney only did it for the money. That's what <laughs> I heard. <laughs> Come on to my house and my house. I'm going to give you Everything. Fuck off. I'll just, we got usual suspects, true romance, a bunch of people mentioned Miller's Crossing, Mean Streets, and then um, Sexy Beast, someone mentioned, and Before the yeah. Devil Knows You're Dead, which was oh, a great one. That was Cindy Lumet. I love the usual suspects. I haven't seen that in a long time. I need to see that's that. That's on Kate's see, list, and uh, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that is great, but I haven't seen it in forever. We just that's watched why I didn't great, put it on mine. Uh, we just watched a great um, um, caper uh, movie. Um, it was on, uh, we found it on Amazon and it's called, um, how to beat the high cost of living. It's oh my God. Oh, oh my God. That- Dude, I used to watch that movie on WHT Su- with Jane Curtin Susan St. And, James, and, and right? Jessica yes. Lang. Yes. And Jessica Lang and Susan St. James, Dabney Coleman's in it. It's a great Holy Richard shit. Benjamin's in it. I remember it's loving that. It's very, very funny. It's, it's, they're trying to commit a crime through it. And, and at the end, one of them, know, fla- Jane Curtin like flashes everyone, right? Yeah, to distract them from the, from That's Susan St. James and, as a and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, um, Jessica Lang trying to commit the crime. Yeah, she's distracting them. It's I have never fun. heard anyone else in my life talk about that movie. And I used to watch, I used to be on WHT it's all the time. And I was really, watching. really fun. And had I watched it before making my crime list, it might've made it up there. Cause we had a blast watching it. It was very fun. Mm. Eddie Albert's in it. It's a Oddly great cast. enough. I used to say that Jane Curtin's breasts were the most beautiful thing in the world <laughs> oh, until no. I saw no. this plastic bag. <laughs> Floating around. Oh, <laughs> then you really knew what beauty was. Yeah, I was like, that's oh, good that's job. it. That's, that's it. American. Oh, that's right. That's an American beauty. Beauty. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hold on, I have to scroll back in my notes here. Oh, oh, oh American oh, beauty. Oh, oh American nice. beauty. Oh. American beauty. Yeah, yeah, Take yeah, your yeah, shirt yeah, off now. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not what Kevin Spacey said to Anthony Rapp. But oh, no. Frederick. <laughs> or it might have been. <laughs> Berman. American beauty. We're having everyone write out a job description. That way management can assess who's valuable and who's, who's expendable. My parents are trying to take an active interest in me. Why can't they just have their own lives? I'm so proud of you. You didn't screw up once. Oh my God, it's a psycho next door. Jane, what if he worships you? I didn't mean to scare you. I'm not obsessing, I'm just curious. Why does he dress like a Bible salesman? Kevin Spaceman is Kevin Spaceman. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? He should come back. He should come back as he should grow a mustache and he should come back. And say, uh, there's a new movie starring Kevin Spaceman. Um, <laughs> seems very interesting. He looks so familiar. <laughs> looks like the guy from K Pac. Is that him? Oh, God. K Pac. K Pac is, uh, K-Pac, I think, is an antibiotic regimen that you take. <laughs> Uh, did you take the whole K-Pack? <laughs> All right. Come on. Let's get serious. It's late. All right. Kevin Spaceman. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it happened again. How does that keep happening? Ke- I don't know. Kevin Spacey. Oh, Spacey. <laughs> oh. oh, but seriously. Kevin Spacey is Lester Burnham, a gainfully employed but woefully unhappy suburban husband and father. Fed up with his boring, stagnant existence and his crumbling relationships with his realtor wife and teenage daughter, played by Annette Benning and Thora Birch, Lester quits his job and decides to reinvent himself as a pot-smoking, responsibility-shirking teenager. Also starring Wes Bentley, Mina Sovari, Peter Gallagher, Allison Janney, and an outstanding Chris Cooper, American Beauty was stage director Sam Mendes' first feature film, and it was not only an awards darling, earning Oscars for Best Picture, Director, Screenplay by Alan Ball, Actor, and Cinematography by Conrad Hall, but a gigantic commercial success as well, taking in over $130 million domestically and $356.3 million worldwide. Fred and Dan, would you guys think of Kevin Spaceman in <laughs> American Beauty? <laughs> um, we mentioned satire earlier. I think this is one of the great satires. I really do. I I, I, th- I think it it walks the line beautifully. Um, and I remember seeing it the first time and going, ah, I think it's I think it's a little over the line at times, and I think it is. It's too much. And I think that the element that I thought was too much was Annette Benning. And then on this rewatch, I was like, nope, she's brilliant. She's right. She's right where she needs to be in it. That moment where she slaps herself and she's like, stop oh, it, stop it. Man. I was just so deeply, powerfully moved by that. And by her whole performance through the whole thing and Thora Birch uh, as well. I think the women, you know, really shined in this um, uh, on this rewatch. Mina Savari was great. And it's and it's, you know, th- this movie to me leaped out as or leapt out at me this time as just about artifice and how we are so engaged in and invested in the fake and the the artifact the artificial and and the the mask the social mask the mask we wear in front of family in front of friends in front of our community in front of our co-workers etc and here's Wes Bentley and Thora Birch trying to 
you know, engage in truth uh, and engage in in, um, you know, getting down to to who they really are. And they get when they do, they get punished for it. She gets slapped, Thora Birched. He gets beaten up by his dad. And but they keep trying. They keep trying to find the truth. Ironically, it's through the video camera, the way their method mm. of trying to find it. But, you know, they ultimately, um, I think, I think, find it. And it is uh, um, disturbing. It's it's uh, powerful. I think uh, you're right on the money, Jason, with Chris Cooper. Oh, my God. I just uh, I can't I can't get enough of his performance in this. It is heart wrenching. It's incredible. You- I will not Sit back and watch my only son become a cocksucker. Jesus, what is it with you? Uh, I swear to God, I'll throw you out of this house and never look at you again. You mean that? You damn straight, I do. It moved me and affected me uh, very, very deeply. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I was kind of messed up a little bit by it by the end. Cause I had forgotten a lot of it. I'd seen it probably twice before, but it's been many, many years. You know, how, where are we to 99? So it's 22 years old. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's been at least 20 years since I've seen it. And it, and I think it's still as, as, uh, as powerful as ever. What is it? Like everything you're saying makes sense. Yeah. And I remember I saw it, I saw it, uh, I didn't see opening weekend, but I, I saw it the, the next week afterwards. And I remember, mm-hmm. I remember really liking it at the time. I, I, I always had a weird thing with Spacey. I found him to be a little, something sort of presentational about him. Very, I, I, very almost the, yeah. theatrical, something heightened. Yes. Yeah. And I even and I even remember when I saw I saw him do Lost in Yonkers, which was sort of like his first real big thing. He won the Tony yeah, for the that. Tony, yeah. And I remember thinking at the time, same thing. I'm like, oh, he seemed very presentational. Then Glenn Gary Glenn Ross was really his I think for us, for people of us, that was really like the first mm-hmm. uh, introduction to him because, you know, it was all these other great actors and he was like the young buck. Yeah, we were and talking to each other like, and going, Who's the guy who says, Will you go to lunch? Who yeah. is that guy? Yeah. And he's great, but again, very theatrical, very presentational. So it was weird. I, I always, I, I, I wasn't sure what I, I, I knew I liked him. I knew there was something interesting about him, Yeah. but I couldn't, I couldn't get pulled into him. Yeah. You know, so everything you said makes complete sense. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's very farcical. Uh, in many ways, I was like, wow, I just watched that series White Lotus on HBO. And oh, I'm like, yeah. oh, this is like yeah, a precursor yeah, yeah. to stuff like that. For you sure. Know? And For sure. It's such a dark comedy. And mm-hmm. it, there's something absurd and about the dysfunctionalism in it all and like the sexual mm-hmm. repression. Mm-hmm. I, but th- this film has fallen out of favor for a lot of people. And and mm. I know there's the whole, you know, is it, it, I, I'm thinking, and, mm. and, 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 and there's something about it for me that, I was having a hard time with it. Like everything you're saying makes sense, but I yeah. couldn't, I kept pushing it away. It was I do weird. think it is of its time. I think it's of its, I think, I certainly think it's of its time, but I think the message is still re- resonant, but I get what you're saying of like, but is it because maybe, of it is, maybe it is caught in its own time. Maybe is it it's because we know what happened and we're like, oh, that's maybe. him? Or know. is it that it, I, I there's don't something think that I just, so. I'm not buying it as much. I'm like, oh, you. Uh, there's look. I get it. I understand the idea of getting to a place in your life where you're like, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? What's what's happening? Um, 
I just didn't feel as much sympathy. That's not the powerful part of the movie to me is his journey at all. But they make it. That's I agree. Like I thought the scene when Annette Bening, like when she, and the same thing watching this movie, I thought it's a little presentational, but I think that's also part of putting on those airs and putting on, you know, it's a satire through and through. And when she breaks down, like uh, right. I forgot about that moment where she starts to beat the shit out of herself. And I thought, whoa, that's just several breakdowns. In a yeah. Beat, and, beat I, and I really like that. But I almost feel like the movie pushes her aside and makes it more about like, let's sympathize with Spacey a bit well, more. He's yeah. the narrator. He's like, yeah. I died yeah. this week. You know, I mean, he's it is yeah. his. It is his, mostly his perspective. Um, True. I just couldn't figure out what it was about it that wasn't. And I remember Kate and I used to joke after seeing it, you know, anytime we'd see a bag, you know, you know, blow on the street, we'd be like, oh, that's the most beautiful thing in the world. (laughs) I don't know why this movie suddenly became sort of, I don't want to say a joke. It's it's been so it's been oft parodied, especially yeah. that, the, the, the guy, because it was so kind of iconic in that moment, mm-hmm. all the, the rose petals, the plastic bag, the music, the music, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, we, I, we were recording this now when you listen to the episode, that Gene Shallow thing at the beginning will have that very, it's very, you know, it's American <laughs> beauty music when it's like yeah. behind, you know, when the guy's talking about the plastic bag floating, it's, I guess it was, I remember loving it when I first saw it. I loved yeah. it, thought it was great, thought, bought the DVD when it came out, loved Spacey, just loved it, loved the whole thing. If anything, I wasn't as taken with Chris. I remember people being so, um, you know, Chris Cooper's name on everybody's lips. And I was like, yeah, yeah, he's good. He's good. Now in this rewatch, I was like, well, it's all Chris. For me, the performance is Chris Cooper that really mm. stands out. Um, I really do. I remember loving it and finding it very funny and very moving. But that was 22 years ago. It uh, it didn't hit me that way this time. Mm. It felt very dated to me. Everything that felt exciting and moving and new and fresh about it in 99, that's it it, it doesn't have that effect for me now. If anything, it felt the word that I kept coming back to was simplistic and uh, it, it feels very, and yes, and that's part of it. Maybe that's part of the style of the satire. And there's, um, there's just, a, there's a stylistic thing that's going on through a lot of it. I, Annette Benning's performance left me pretty cold and I think she's brilliant and I love mm-hmm. her and everything, but I thought it was, um, almost cartoonish. I, I, I really, it didn't, it, it really was. didn't work for me. 22 years ago, but this time I loved her. Yeah. It's I was funny. Yeah, I, I was kind of, her. I was kind of flipped on it. I was, when I was watching it, I was like, Oh, this was a game changer yeah. at the time in terms of that tone, yes. the unhappiness and the disappointment. And I think he got it. I didn't watch six feet under. I only saw bits and pieces, right. but I think uh, that's where yeah. he got it a little more. Right. But no, you're right. Because I was thinking about that, you know, with Goodfellas, with some of those movies that, you can that you you can cite as huge influential movies and whether they were big and popular at the time, but just in terms of style, like Goodfellas, Road Warrior, you know, Blade Runners one. And for certain people, now I go back and I Blade Runner still holds up for me. But for you guys, it's that type of thing where like, okay, you can see how the style yeah. was influential, but the movie might not hold up for you. Mm-hmm. You know, Goodfellas, 
completely influential. That movie holds up. Road Warrior, same thing. I think this exactly yeah. the same thing. Like I was you were talking about White Lotus, you know, so many movies and television shows in terms of their tone and the style, I think start with American Beauty because it was very new and fresh at the time to just sort of revel and, and matter of fact, they just talk about life can be pretty shitty. Now he does say at the end, it's like life is beautiful, <laughs> but in the beginning, yeah. it's sort of the idea is, wow, this is not what I wanted. This is everything. It's a disappointment. Uh, you know, we're all in prison. We're all sexually repressed. And I, I feel like it hadn't been, those feelings hadn't been expressed in this way. Right. Well, you know, what's funny. But they've been expressed since is what you're saying. Yes. In different yeah, yeah. Ways. Yeah. Well, yes. I feel like this has mm. imitators that, you know, I, I was like, you know, when you take like a, a portrait of suburbia and what's the, the, you know, the, the rot underneath, it makes me think of something like blue velvet right which is all about like what's yeah what's underneath the facade and what's underneath and the darkness of what's behind closed doors and everything i think there's even like a a shot blue velvet you see like the manicured lawns with the sprinklers yeah, and it, goes underneath, it goes underground mm. so it to me it's like a blue velvet by way of like ll bean it looks like you know it's like it all looks like it can't, there's a there's a there's a more accessible nature to american beauty there's something that made this this struck a chord with a wider uh, cross-section of the public 20-some-odd years ago than I think Blue Velvet did 30-some-odd years ago. And uh, I, I, I think, yeah, I think it just was very, very influential. And again, it had to, to be oft parodied. It, there's got to be something there to parody, you know? And so, right. there's, so there's, there's a lot of great stuff in this film. But I think after the millionth time you've seen a joke about the plastic bag and, you know, and, and the voiceover yeah. with that music and stuff, it's all very, it just starts to feel like, okay, you know, I've, I've seen this, I've seen this, uh, done better. I've seen it done worse. I've seen it, yeah. uh, mocked. I've seen it turned inside out and it seems quaint. It's there's something about it that seems like it thinks it's, it thinks it's shocking and it doesn't have the power to shock anymore for, for me, you know, I'm, <sighs> I'm not like clutching my pearls <laughs> the yeah. way I was 20 years ago. So it, Maybe it doesn't hold I'm perpetually for me stuck in the late nineties. Maybe I've never really gotten out of that. <laughs> And well, I think obviously, from the beginning of this podcast, you keep going back to the same stories over <laughs> yeah, and over again. That, so. I, I think that that's yeah. why this is so. It's I'm my fault. Because I keep I'm picking going, the same year. <laughs> I'm like, tell me what no. you did that year until you but get it right. It. Well, you know what the, moment I love? Like, we were talking about Spacey before. Because you're right. All the performances are are pretty great, uh, you know, all, all the way through. I was the same way, Jason. I didn't get it with Chris Cooper when I saw it back then, I was like, what's huh, the big deal? deal? I don't get it. And it's now I, I really, really, I thought he was great. And, and he's fantastic in everything. I mean, I love Chris Cooper. Uh, and, uh, but w with Spacey, you know, he's so good at what he does. I mean, he's so creepy, which plays <laughs> into this. Yes. And, and again, it's like, well, is it because we know so much. We know what it is now, but there is always something, um, inaccessible, I guess is the word. Like he doesn't, he's so smart and there's always, he's always like one step ahead. I think even when he's like the schlub, there's some, even like usual suspects, you know, it's like you, you get spoiler, you get to the end, you're like, he's the smartest guy. There was a moment in this movie. It was the first time that I had ever that's basically like melted me. Mm. And it's when 
God, what was it? It was, oh, it's towards the end of the movie. I know where I say. think he finds out that his daughter is dating someone in love mm-hmm. and he smiles. Yeah, he's got this right. moment where he just it's good for her. Yeah. All, mm-hmm. Yeah. And all the yeah. defenses. And it's also, you know, that's it's a great vulnerability. choice for the character. He doesn't have the a lot of vulnerability. That's what things. it is. It right. was such an honest, mm. beautiful moment. It was the first time watching the movie where I was like, oh, <laughs> and which I guess is a great time because it, it, it may be, Maybe by d- design, you know, because that's the moment where he gives in and he realizes that, you know, life is beautiful and as an audience member. But I think it, it that's took- the second moment that that happens. But yes, it is a very powerful moment. The first moment it's is when Mina Savari says yes. it's my first time. And you see all of the veneer, all of the all of the everything he's been striving for and thinking he's supposed to be and thinking she is. Again, it's that thing of the mask versus the real, you know, what what we present to the world, the way we want to be seen versus how we want the world to see us. And and both of those things versus what we really are. And she's like, it's my first time. And he's going, oh, my God, this has all been a lie. I have been kidding myself this whole time. And that's the moment for me that I see the big, big, major, powerful shift in him. But you're right. That, that, that moment where he goes good for her, she has real love. Maybe it'll be the only time in her life. Maybe it'll be, hopefully it's not the only, you know, hopefully it lasts. And, and because he, he's constantly remembering back in the movie when, to when he has real, has had real love with, Annette Bennett with the wife, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he's remembering it in a, in a lovely way. And he knows that that's gone. So he's going, you know, she, good for her. So I'm sorry to interrupt Fred, but that, that I, I feel like there's two moments in there. And the, the, the one that hits me a lot harder is where he completely drops the whole, the whole facade that he's built up for himself, the whole movie. And it's when Subari says it's my, yeah, that time. moment didn't move. I, I thought it was a great moment. Yeah. And, and yeah, that is the shift. Like you said, it did, it's just in an, I wasn't as moved by it as I was a couple minutes later in that little simple thing. That mm. section is so horrifying. It's so hard to watch now. The Mina Savari. I mean, and and it was, but I and I don't remember it being maybe again because it was twenty something years ago, and I, you know, we were a lot younger, and now at the age we're at, we're like. What the fuck? You know, he's our age. Oh, yeah. And we're You're like, what the fuck are you doing with a child? It, yeah. I, yeah. I'm like screaming at the stream. It, it was yeah. it was Mr. Holland times 30. And I was like, ooh, Jesus, ooh, no, no. I was so upset <laughs> during the whole sequence. It's very hard to, yeah, it's hard to like clock. When you're that, <laughs> that disgusted and your skin is crawling so much and you're so angry, it's hard to note like the subtle shift. Although, but you're right, Dan, it is yeah. where where it all falls away and, yeah. and, but, but I was so angry at him and so disturbed by him there that it was hard to, uh, for me to perceive it. I will say about Spacey, the thing I like about his performance, it, I mean, I do like him. I, I like his, I like, he's, he is a stylized performer on, yes. on screen, but I like it in most things. I really like mm-hmm. him. There's very few things that I'm like, nah, I mean, I may get tired of him sometimes, but I, I, I don't necessarily I don't find fault with it as uh, as an acting style. I think it's just very him. And what I think it is, is too, it's also, it's a little old school. It's a little, he's, his physicality is so kind of sharp and crisp in this. And I think that's part of the comedy. The overarching comedy is that yes. he's hearkening back to, you know, we know how much he idolizes Jack, Jack Lemon. Lemon. Yeah. It felt very yes. Jack Lemon, Walter Matthau, a lot of the yes. domestic stuff. And like, especially that scene where he's like, he's in the bed and he's got the pillow and he like, 
the way he shifts in the bed and he punches the pillow and he goes to sleep. It's like it's a very it's a very uh, clean choreographed bit of physical this is very theatrical kind of a lot physical of comedy yeah. business and he's punctuating things with his physicality in a way that is just very theatrical but also very effective and very uh and feels like it's in the style of what mendez was trying to do with the movie yes. whether i like it as a whole you know it, for the movie whether it works for me as as the way to to uh, tell this story or not overall i, I do i kind of like what he's doing Janie, today i quit my job <laughs> and then i told my boss to go fuck himself and then i blackmailed him for almost sixty thousand dollars past the asparagus your father seems to think this kind of behavior is something to be proud of and your mother seems to prefer that I go through life like a fucking prisoner while she keeps my dick in a mason jar under the sink. How dare you speak to me that way in front of her? And I marvel that you can be so contemptuous of me on the same day that you lose your job. I didn't lose it. It's not like, whoops, where'd my job go? I quit. Someone passed the asparagus. Oh, 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 oh. Now, speaking of uh, theatricalism and the theatrical, did you notice, and I was wondering, this has got to be purposeful. Did you notice what the name of the neighbors, the original neighbors? So Annette Benning, you know, they sold the house next door. They cut down, they're talking about, they cut down a sycamore tree. Did you hear the name of the family that used to live in that house? No. The Lomans. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, I didn't hear right. that, but that's yeah, Taylor and pointed I thought, that out, actually. Taylor pointed that out. She's like, oh, the that, Lomans. That's got to be on purpose, mm-hmm. yeah, right? Yeah, I For bet. sure. Yeah, because it's all disillusionment, right? Yeah. It's all like this idyllic thing that we thought America was supposed to be, and it's rotten underneath. Yeah. It's rotten the to the core. From death of a salesman, if our listeners aren't aware. Listen, one, a man is not a piece of fruit. A. <laughs> B. Attention must be paid. C. You're a dime a dozen, and so am I, and so are you. D. Uh, something else from a death of a salesman. The scene... All, when I think of this movie, it's not the plastic bag scene. It's not the slapping scene. It's not the, you know, the rose petals. It, to me, it's the most, <laughs> I don't know why, it's the most disturbing and poignant and sad scene and sums up so much of the movie is Kevin Spacey jerking off in the shower. Oh, my God. There's something about that that's so, when I saw it, I was I think I was so shocked when I saw it yeah. in the theaters. I was like, wow, I've never seen something like that before. And it just seems so sad to me. Like, oh, God. Like how depressing! You didn't get nostalgic for your for your own uh, for the, you know when things didn't go well at the Eagles' nest. You didn't get nostalgic for day, day days when you know you were the last person at the Village Basketball bas- Club. You didn't get nostalgic hey, for those. I'm gonna days. hang back, guys. I think I left something. I think I left uh, my soap on a rope. Uh, Suds, Suds, you you go ahead. You go ahead. Josh, you guys go ahead. No, I'm going to be here. (laughs) I'm going to be here for five to seven minutes. Um, (laughs) Why didn't they believe me about Raiders of the Lost Ark? It could have happened. Karen Allen could have popped her boob. (laughs) The moment where he's like, he's looking for the severance package by saying, I could accuse you of sexual harassment right now. It was like, yikes. Oh, boy. That that aged well. Weird, weird sequence. You know, and I, I want to say I really like Wes. Is it Wes Bentley, right? I really like him in it. I I thought he was great, and that monologue again, as oft mocked and parodied as it is, it is beautiful, and he does it beautifully. And I did read something, Fred. Maybe you read a similar thing uh, about that. The casting director was like, "We saw a lot of great actors. It's a beautiful monologue. We saw a lot of wonderful actors. It never made sense. Never made sense. It was." It sat there like a monologue whenever people did it. He was the first yeah. guy. Wes Bentley came in 
And the direct casting director was like, I understood it. I finally oh. got what it was. It, I never oh, quite got what it was until he came in and did it. Sometimes there's so much beauty in the world. I feel like I can't take it. I I had read somewhere, I don't know if you read this as well, that the original ending, and they sort of set this up in the beginning, because I forgot about the opening. I was like, oh, God, it starts with him already (laughs) saying I'm dead. Yeah, I'm dead. But it starts with the two kids. And her saying, or it'd be like, I want to kill my dad. And he's like, oh, yes. you want me to do it? Yeah. The yeah. original ending was they get framed for it. Chris Cooper frames the kids. Oh, and, it's caught, and I'm like, oh, what? well, it's caught on film them saying that. And they go to jail. Oh, wow. Yeah. I wouldn't like and that They filmed at all. it that way. And then I guess they cut it. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if that was after yeah. testing it or if they made the decision yeah. before showing it to audiences. I, I think That's it was even before I they, never read that. Yeah. I think it was before they even tested it. I think they just realized it didn't. It, didn't work. It turned it into a different movie. It turns it's a very different movie. I, I mean, yeah, because there yeah. is, there is, you don't need there that. is, there is hope and, and uplift in because of how he dies and where he is yes. at the moment of his death and the fact that the kids are going to get away and start, you know, that they're going to go off to get, you get the feeling they're yeah. going to be okay. And Mina Savari is going to be okay. Yeah, no, I think, I think that ending would have been really would have been so dark it might have been i don't know maybe it would have been interesting but mm-hmm. i think it would have i think i think it would have like really left a sour taste it certainly wouldn't have made no 356 million dollars and won six no. oscars or whatever if that was, no, i don't no. think it would have i don't think that that bleak and ending wouldn't have uh no, wouldn't right. have worked um where we uh where we sitting on the sheila scale i'm going to go equal to three kings where i was on three kings nine Sheila's. I'm not going to go 9.5. I can't, certainly can't go 10 because it's no Caddyshack. However, <laughs> I will go a solid nine. Solid. I liked it. I, I, I liked it as much as Three Kings. I, yeah, I, I, see, I, see, I see what you guys are saying about, you know, it maybe doesn't, parts of it don't, don't hold up as much or that seem dated or simplistic, you know, but I don't know why. I, I don't know why I just love the, love the, the the metaphors within it. I love this the 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 kind of satire that it is and the line that it walks and that the Bentley and Birch characters are sort of just out of that reality and but everyone else is in it and the the artifice of it, the the it all just stuck out to me in a very, very powerful way this time. And like I say, the 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 main three uh, perf- women uh, performers in it, um, Annette Benning especially. And that, I like I said, I, re- I remember her being the thing I didn't like about it 22 hmm. years ago, going, I don't know about this Annette Benning performance. It seems like it's outsized mm-hmm. for what else is going on in it. But now I'm like, no, this is exactly right-sized. And she was, uh, she wow. was really powerful to me. So I, I go nine. Yeah, I'm just, I, I, I don't know why I was put off more, but I liked it. I, I think I'm going to give it, I guess maybe a seven, 7.5. It's a well-made movie. You know, it's beautifully shot. All the performances are great. And I wanted to like it more. I don't, I can't, it's just like you're sort of surprised how much you liked it this time. I'm sort of surprised. It's heavy. I'm I'm surprised too. I'm surprised that I, I'm probably a seven. I'm probably a seven. And, uh, and I thought it was going to be, 
I assumed it was going to be higher or that if it if it lessened in my estimation, it was going to be because something about Spacey in it was, right. you know, because uh, I keep thinking, you know, I, I keep waiting for it to be like, oh, it's hard for me to watch this movie because of Kevin Spacey. And I thought this mm-hmm. would be the one because he is the protagonist. And, you yeah. know, I I'm, find him easier to take now as like what he does most of the time, villains and creeps and this and that. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, well, I can still watch him do that and not feel conflicted. <laughs> but no, it really his history didn't really have that big an effect on me. I mean, it was still I. I wasn't as excited by his performance as I think I remember being when I first saw it, you know, when he was the talk of the town, it was Cooper mm-hmm. that rose for me, but yeah, no, overall, I just think the overall thing kind of just, uh, didn't, didn't work for me the way I remember it working when I was younger. So I think I'm a seven. Thank you so, so much, everybody for joining us for another episode of opening weekend. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a look back We're going back to the late 70s again. We're going to uh, revisit October 19th, 1979, and the two major releases that weekend, if you can call them both major, Meteor. Have you ever heard of Meteor? Not M-E-A-T-I-E-R, starring Ron Jeremy. No, Meteor, like the thing in the sky, starring Sean Connery. I've never seen Meteor. I'm sure it's excellent. Uh, and the other major release that weekend, it's our good friend, Al, or young Al, actually, uh-huh. in And Justice for All. Over. Over. Young You don't have to watch it. You just heard it. And Justice for All. <laughs> Dan Matisa, what do you have for us? Move over, Bacon. Now there's something media. <laughs> you can use that next week on opening weekend. What do I have for you? What I'm doing is called stalling. Yeah, I, don't know I know what to do. I think I'll do a little. You tell this. Is, we're we're several months away from Christmas. We're several months we away, but we're not too early to do one of my favorite Christmas songs. We three kings. Oh, ah, yes, three that's kings. Smart. Yes, how about that? That's great. I don't Christmas know that everyone. song at all. Really? Because I'm not of your your faith and religion. I don't Aww. know the song. I don't. I hope this doesn't desecrate what it means. But uh. that th- th- that goes so well with fart noises because it's got such a bump. I did think it sounded very good farted. I will say, not to really. Please don't strike me down, Lord. But I did think it sounded wonderful farted. And you can do it again for the Christmas episode. Yeah, it went so well together. Yeah, it's. It's, it's made to be farted. What did the three kings bring? Gold. Frankincense. Flatulence. G- gold, myrrh, and fra- flatulence. <laughs> I thought you said... I th- <laughs> what did you bring? I got gold. How about you? Some myrrh. Well, I didn't... I mean... 
you were supposed, you know what you're supposed to bring. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't get the email or anything. I just, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> so where's the, the frankincense. frankincense. Oh, frankincense. I, <laughs> oh, I, I had two things. I, I had a, I have a little Frankenstein action figure and I ate an incredible amount of beans. <laughs> So which one should I give him, the Frankenstein or the flatulence? Well, flatulence sounds a little more like frankincense. Yeah, but they both, the Frankenstein and Frankenstein, they both start with Franken. Wait a second. I've got this copy of Al Franken's latest book. <laughs> Just give him the Franken book. Franken book. Okay, I, I'll, I'll be like, here's your choice, Jesus. Are you frankincense? Oh, no, I don't have frankincense. That's the one thing I don't have. I have. It's the one thing I don't have. It's the one thing I don't have. I got three things. I got three things. Three kings, three things. I got Al Franken's book, which is called Good Sense. Franken Frankincense. Fuck off. The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. Oh, yeah.